is Arif Katra, and I'm the host of Voices Worth Listening To. This is a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about diversity, stories that I hope will make you think and reflect on how we experience each other's differences. My goal is to encourage change in our individual perspectives and in the ways in which we live and work together. This episode of Voices Worth Listening To is the second part of a two-part series that attempts to answer how can organizations do a better job of first, recognizing talented women of color, and second, promoting them into decision-making roles. Part one explored the idea that women of color regularly find themselves in a talent box, a set of barriers that prevent their performance from being recognized. These barriers have nothing to do with real talent. They're more often than not about behavior and background. Women are often told, you're a top performer, there's no question. But see, the problem is, you're just not vulnerable enough. Managers don't want to see the aggressive go-getter that you portray. They want to see chinks in your armor. They want to see you wear your struggles on your sleeve. If you do more of that, it will help them see you and your hard work. Clearly, despite it being 2022, women still experience overt discrimination in the workplace. But among racialized women, the stories of being repeatedly passed over for promotions, well, they abound. For those of you who are able to catch part one, you know that it concludes by suggesting First, systems that organizational leaders can put in place to ensure more women of color are brought to the recruitment table. And second, how leaders can use merit-based principles to recognize talent. But it's important to realize that talent doesn't get promoted or retained just because it gets recognized. And that is the subject of part two. Today, we'll explore stories about the challenges faced by four high-performing women of color. These stories will help us explore what needs to be in place at your organization to ensure more equitable and merit-based systems for advancement. Imagine joining a hockey team, but never being allowed to play. How would you ever be able to showcase your talent and demonstrate its value to the team. Well, that's often how women of color are treated in organizations, by the leaders and the systems they put in place. When a woman of color finds herself in that context, any opportunity for advancement withers away. Let me introduce you to Manju. Manju worked for a major Canadian fashion retailer experiencing exponential growth. She was hired as the Director of Product Strategy and Pricing. Manju was part of a new wave of leaders tasked with helping the company transition from being a startup to operating more like a mature organization. Driving change was an important part of Manju's job, as she oversaw critical systems in product development, product launch, and pricing. Manju had about 10 years of experience under her belt, and she knew that driving change was a cooperative endeavor not something you do on your own. So Manju was always ready to participate in discussions and learn. 
But what she experienced was straight out of a movie. Think Dolly Parton's 9 to 5. And that was 32 years ago. Manju would hear out loud in meetings senior male executives tell her to stay in your lane. These same executives would get away with questioning Manju's background and suggesting that it may be disadvantaging her from understanding fashion retail in Canada. This when over 50% of the company's sales were from abroad. And unless a male colleague reiterated the same idea, Manju's ideas were mostly ignored, not even discussed. This consistent belittling went on and on, meeting after meeting, for almost a year. And Manju struggled to perform. But not because of her talent, but because although the company's formal systems brought her, a woman of color, to the table, her success as an agent of change was much more dependent on the space she was given to engage. See, at Manju's level, your performance is not dependent only on you. It depends on you and your colleagues' ability to support one another in ideating, planning, and implementing. And success in all of these areas depends on discussion, cooperation, and relationships. And when participation in these is not equally accessible, then you're boxed out of being successful. See, most leaders who buy into promoting more women of color often don't think about the requirement to ensure welcoming informal systems so they can be successful. You can't just be on the team. You need to have a chance to play. And when that doesn't happen, women of color tend to get passed over. If you're wondering, Manju eventually left. And for this major Canadian fashion retailer, it couldn't have mattered much. Because even today, although it has over 20 people on its senior management team, not one is a person of color. And its sales? Well, almost 45% come from countries where the majority of the population is not white. So why the gap? Well, most organizations don't have formal systems in place that hold leaders accountable for their decisions around who they promote and why they promote them. And these systems, while they're really necessary to ensure leaders take risks equitably when it comes to giving all people in the organization an equal opportunity to progress. Let me tell you Nicole's story. Nicole is Black and identifies as a lesbian. Nicole worked for a major beverage company in the U.S. She was hired into the strategic planning department where she supported the VP of Marketing Strategy. She had a great relationship with her boss, and he trusted her with challenging projects. Her most recent achievement involved aligning the annual strategic planning process with divisional processes. They were often very much out of sync, and that meant many missed opportunities. Nicole worked hard to align these two planning processes, and the result was the identification of three big opportunities for increased profits. Going after these opportunities meant growing the marketing function pretty significantly over the next three years. With this journey in mind, Nicole suggested to her VP that he needed a chief of staff. He thought this was a great idea and asked Nicole to map it out. She did. He loved it. 
so much that he invited her to pitch the chief of staff position to the executive committee. This was a great success. And within two weeks, a job description landed on Nicole's desk. The VP schedules a meeting with Nicole, and she was over the moon. Finally, her hard work was about to pay off. But once the meeting began, the unthinkable happens. Rather than offer Nicole the job, her VP says he has a few other people in mind for the position and that, although she may not have all the experience required for the job, she should think about applying. Nicole was stunned. A job that was her idea, a job description that she essentially wrote, a position that was approved based on her pitch, and a position that she was more than qualified to fill was now a job she was being discouraged to apply for. But come hell or high water, Nicole was going to apply. And she did. And yes, she was passed over. Her VP hired a man from a non-equity-seeking group who was very polished, but had less experience and less education than Nicole. You might ask whether Nicole should appeal the decision. She could. But what would come of her social capital in this type of organization? And why should she take on all the risk? What is missing from one of the largest beverage companies in the U.S. is accountability around hiring and promotions. See, Nicole's VP would never need to justify his decision to anyone. The truth is that the glass ceiling in some organizations is a one-way glass. You can look up and hope for opportunity, but no one is required to look down. No one is typically answerable around the decisions regarding who is promoted and why. Today at this company, of their 15 senior managers, one is a woman. One is a person of color, but none are black. In terms of sales, 35% of their sales come from countries where the majority of the population is not white. In the U.S., the black population is a significant segment for this company. Nicole, well, she left. Clearly, progression at this company was not in the cards for a black woman. An organization committed to promoting women of color needs to do it eyes wide open. Whenever you increase the diversity quotient in senior management, you need established power brokers in the management team to have the backs of their newer, more diverse colleagues. Let me tell you the story of Lee Jin Ju. She was born in Korea, but has been in Canada since she was three. She goes by Mary. Mary has worked in high tech, founded and sold a startup, and worked for one of the largest nonprofits in the world in a senior position in marketing and fundraising. She has an MBA and a master's in engineering. She has spent the last few years working with a nonprofit association in the transportation sector as an AVP. She has been very successful and has a great relationship with the CEO. Last July, when it was still safe to eat in restaurants, Mary was invited out to lunch by the CEO. And he let Mary know that the VP of marketing was leaving and that if Mary wanted it, the position was hers. She was elated. And so was her CEO, because Mary brought a level of experience, talent, and diversity 
that was sorely missing from his all-white, all-male, all-over-60 management team. Mary was very excited about the VP position because the association was in transition. Mary had three years to take this organization from being publicly funded to being completely reliant on private funds. Mary's first task was to build the realignment plan. The realignment was not going to be easy, and it put a lot of work on the shoulders of all the senior managers. And the pushback was not insignificant. But Mary completed her plan, cooperating with her colleagues, and shared it with the CEO and the entire management team. Everyone agreed to read the plan and meet in two weeks for a half-day session to discuss next steps. Based on approval from the CEO, Mary took a much-deserved week-long vacation before the meeting. Mary returned on a Monday, refreshed and ready to do some heavy lifting. The senior management team meeting was on Tuesday, so it was no surprise the CEO wanted to meet Mary Monday afternoon. Mary made her way to the meeting with the CEO. The CEO thanked Mary for the great plan. It was thorough, well thought out, and respectful of the contribution every member of the management team makes to the organization. He then went on to say, It's exactly what we needed to hear, Mary. But you know, the senior managers are struggling to get their heads around the change. Over the last week when you were away, the pushback has been enormous. Mary, I don't have a choice here. I have to let you go. He fired her. Mary was confused. I don't understand, she asked. You asked me to work on this plan. I know, the CEO responded. But I'm not just going to let you go. I'm going to make sure you receive a very generous severance. Mary, I'm sorry about this, but I had no choice. Of course he had a choice. He chose to push Mary in front of the bus. She was younger, she was newer, she was the only woman on the senior management team, and she was the only person of color. Getting rid of Mary was easier than defending her and suffering the supposed wrath of his senior managers. Is it fair? No. But what Mary's story tells us is that promoting women of color to senior positions and assuming there will be no pushback or sabotage is naive. If you are promoting a woman of color to a senior position, and if that's something that doesn't regularly occur in your organization, then you have to commit to protecting them as they grow into their position. Because promoting someone without coming to their defense does not acknowledge the stark and pervasive reality of systemic discrimination. When promoting women of color into senior positions, where they will undoubtedly be a minority, mentorship has to be part of the package. It's how relationships are made and how failure is best prevented. Let me tell you about Isabella. Isabella worked for a consumer goods company in a director position in strategy and development. Within a year of being an Uber top performer, she was promoted to a VP position. And that left some of her fellow VPs questioning her quick rise to senior management. And as a result, they behaved pretty reprehensibly. 
They would leave Isabella off meeting invites. They would withhold key information. She was socially left out on her own. And any attempt to push Isabella under the bus was taken. But Isabella was a fighter. She got herself a well-known executive coach and developed strategies to build her credibility and relationships. The CEO was fully aware of the challenges facing Isabella. They couldn't be more obvious. But his support? Well, that stopped at his lips. He took no action in the face of egregious wrongs and provided no mentorship. In fact, a mentor or two were something her executive coach encouraged Isabella to find. But no one was willing to give her any time. Instead, there was a move afoot to box Isabella out. Slowly, the VP Finance started taking on more strategy-related functions and deliberately excluded Isabella from key decisions. She felt more and more like an island. Even when Isabella went to the senior management golf retreat, it was clear that her exclusion was not accidental or related to people's busy schedules. It was deliberate, winks and nods in tow. Within a year of being VP, the CEO said to Isabella, the senior team had to be restructured and that strategy would now fall under the VP of finance. She received a very generous severance package and Isabella left. The moral of the story, no mentor, no chance. I started today's podcast with a bold statement. Talent doesn't get cultivated and promoted just because it gets recognized. From the stories I shared with you today, it's clear that for organizations, it's much easier to recruit women of color than it is to mentor them, support them, and defend their right to be at the table. Remember Manju, working for one of Canada's most up-and-coming retail brands? How does she get her boss to stop telling her to be quiet in meetings? To stop saying things like, stay in your lane? What organizational systems would need to be in place so that when people like Rachel design a job and pitch that job to the senior management team, they're not the ones that are discouraged from applying for that job? When people like Mary do their job at the request of the CEO, how can they ensure that they won't be thrown under the bus when that job makes other senior managers feel uncomfortable? And finally, what systems need to be in place so that when people like Isabella become vice presidents in major organizations, they receive the mentorship, acceptance, and inclusion they need in order to perform? Two concurrent systems need to exist to successfully promote, cultivate, and retain women of color in senior positions in any organization. First, If a woman of color is being promoted to a management position, and that's something that doesn't happen all that much in your organization, then whether the promotion is for a manager, director, vice president, senior vice president, the woman of color being promoted must be paired with three partners. One, a mentor who can share insights about the hidden rules of the game. Two, a partner who can help navigate sticky situations that may impede performance. And three, an advocate who's willing to go to bat in the face of unreasonable behaviors, comments, and accusations. If the CEO of your organization cannot ensure that every woman of color will receive these three partners to work with to help ease the transition into a promotion, 
then women of color in management will always remain something your organization talks about, but never actually achieves. And before you start thinking that this level of mentorship amounts to special treatment, let's look at the research. Studies as recent as 2018 found that women in organizations, one, tend to be invited to network with employees less senior than them versus those at their own level. Two, women are habitually excluded from male-dominated networks. Three, senior women in the workplace are often not invited to participate in informal conversations and interactions, conversations that tend to be pivotal to relationship building and therefore career development. And four, women of color themselves often hesitate to start mentorship relationships for fear of being perceived as less able. In addition to the partnership system, there needs to be an accountability system, one where managers at all levels must formally justify to those they report to why they chose not to promote diverse candidates when given the opportunity. Without this level of accountability, egregious behavior where women are simply passed over or simply replaced and then silenced with generous remuneration packages will continue. And that will be your organization's legacy. I hope that today, the time you took to listen to this podcast made you feel that this was a voice worth listening to. If you would like more information about my work in diversity and strategy, please visit my website at www.strat-ology.com. That's S-T-R-A-T-O-L-O-G-Y.com. The music in this podcast is from the Toronto Tabla Ensemble. To find out more, visit torontotabla.com. That's the word Toronto and the word tabla, T-A-B-L-A dot com. <laughs>